Well, good morning. Uh, normally, I pray out of that silence, and we're going to pray in a second. Um, but before we do that, um, this is the parking lot on Friday. Just recently, these are our junior high and high school kids and their leaders, and they are up north in Williams for the weekend at Lost Canyon uh, with Redemption Gilbert and Redemption West Mesa and one other church called Anchor Church from the East Valley. And uh, I just want to take a second to pray for them. Um, and so uh, I don't want to just pray for them individually. I want to give just 10 seconds uh, for you to pray. I don't know if you've ever been to a retreat or an off-site thing where you were there and the Lord met you in some unique way, uh, whether it was uh, a personal connection with him or something that was taught, or maybe there was a relational connection that uh, you found different or deeper because you were not distracted because you were away. Uh, and so we want to pray that that happened. Uh, our kids will be coming home uh, today, and it was negative four there yesterday. So I'm like a total wimp, and I'm freezing this morning. I'm like, they don't even know. So uh, we haven't heard anything, so no news is good news. So everybody, I think, is safe and good. But um, we're just going to take about 10, 15 seconds. And so as a community, right, like I think for all of us, like that God would hear our prayers of the saints, that we would take a minute if you're in Jesus and pray um, for those kids to feel connected, for them to get home safely, all those things. And then I will pray us out of our time and we'll jump in to the text. So just take about 10 or 15 seconds right now in your seats where you are and uh, let's ask the Lord to meet uh, these young, uh, young adults where, uh, where he wants to meet them for the, even today. Father, thank you that you do meet us um, in unique places when we get away and we get our distractions kind of put on the shelf. And God, I pray um, that you would meet uh, our kids up at Lost Canyon, that you have been meeting them, that you will continue to meet them even today. And God, the, the things that you do, the deposits you put into their life and their soul uh, from your word, from your people, from your spirit, that uh, it would be on soft soil. That even as they come home, it wouldn't be just a mountaintop high, um, but it would be something that they carry on into their daily lives as they attempt to walk with you. So would you be with them today? Uh, would you be with Paul as he continues to preach out of um, Psalm 23 and um, the Lord being the good shepherd and what hearts receive it this morning? Pray for a deep connection with you and uh, with your people. We love you and pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I came across an article this last week uh, that was published last year in Yahoo Financial, the financial section of Yahoo. And the title of this article was Top Five Ways to Get Rich. Um, we've been in this series. This is the third week. We've got one more week in it called Rich Towards God. And we've been describing what the word rich means. When we say the word rich, what we're meaning is that it's of excess or abundance. When you have something of excess or abundance, you are rich. Now, typically, we use that in the financial context in our vocabulary, in our culture. When we say rich, we're usually talking about money. Um, and we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about being rich. So this article that I came across, again, um, it was kind of giving five tips, the top five tips of how do you become rich? How do you build up excess? How do you build up abundance in money? And at the beginning of the article, and these were financial experts that were all kind of weighing in on like, man, our culture looks different 
today than it did 20 years ago. There's different ways to gain money than it did 20 years ago. And so at the beginning of the article, they say, listen, there's these get-rich-quick schemes. And they go, that's what they are. They're schemes. Um, they don't work. You cannot get rich quickly. That does not happen. Uh, usually the get-rich-quick schemes are kind of preying on people that are vulnerable financially, and it makes them in even worse places financially. They say said there's one exception over time and over history when you can kind of get rich quick. And they said the only way that you can actually do that is if you are born into a family of wealth, and then all of a sudden you have an inheritance that's given to you. You can get rich really quickly. Uh, but other than that, they say, man, getting rich or having excess or abundance, it takes time, it takes discipline, um, and it takes diligence. So here's the top five ways they would say this is how you get rich financially in our culture. Number one, that you would avoid and pay down debt, right? That you wouldn't get caught into the trap of debt, but that you would uh, avoid it altogether if you can, or if you have it, you would pay it down because, man, that interest rate just crushes your money and your financial situation. So one, avoid and pay down debt. Number two, that you would spend intentionally and you would minimize cost. You would have intentional effort with how you spend your money, where you spend your money, and in that intention, you would minimize your cost. You wouldn't spend as much as you normally do. So avoid debt, spend intentionally, minimize cost. Number three, you would invest as much as possible in a diversified portfolio. Right? You wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, but as you gain wealth, as you get money from your paycheck, you would invest it in certain stocks and certain different places that would build dividends for you in the long run. Avoid debt, spend intentionally, invest as much as possible. Number four, that you would work on your career. Right? This just seems to make sense. If you're getting money from your job and your vocation is your primary source of income, that you would get better at that because as you get better, you add more value to the company organization you work for, and hopefully you get a raise in pay in the midst of that. And then number five, that you would find extra work. Right? Even in 2023, there's a side hustle for everything now. You could be an Uber driver, you could get online, and you could do things. You could write articles. There's ways you can get some extra income that you couldn't 20 years ago. And so again, these five things, avoid debt and pay it down. Two, uh, spend intentionally and minimize costs. Number three, you would invest as much as possible in a diversified portfolio. Number four, you would work on your career. Number five, you would find extra work. Now, this just seems like good financial sense, right? Like these things. There's no magic bullet in the midst of being rich, like they said, but like it's over time and it's over diligence and discipline that you can gain more money. So even thinking of those five things, even for you personally, when you think of how you handle your money, how you manage the money that, that comes in every week for you, like what out of those five are areas that you go, man, I could just do better at that? Um, I know for me, even, even the second one, spending intentionally and minimizing costs, man, like as a family of five, we can go out to eat a couple times a week and then it's like $500 is like that. Like, 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 and so we have to be intentional with how we use our money instead of like, oh, well, let's just go out to eat again because it can just build in cost. And so how are you being intentionally? Even if you listen to those five, where are you going, man, I, I'm not really investing. I could invest or, or maybe I'm, I'm, again, I have too much debt. I need to pay that down instead of just kind of letting it uh, accrue into a mountain. How can you improve? So if those are the top ways to get rich in the world's economy, to build monetary excess and abundance, what does Jesus have to say about how to get rich? With God. 
That's what we're trying to address in this whole series and understanding as we've unpacked in, in the section in Luke 12, Jesus says he's having conversations with the crowd and then he's having conversations with his disciples. What does Jesus say? If those are five tips of how to gain wealth and get rich. What are the tips that Jesus gives us when talking about our finances and our money? And we started in uh, verse 13 of chapter 12, where Jesus, again, is talking to the crowds, and somebody comes up and interrupts him and says, Jesus, tell us uh, uh, to give this inheritance to me. My brother, we're having a fight over this inheritance. Tell him to give him what's mine. And Jesus is like, I'm not the judge over you. And then he goes into this parable about this man that has excess. He's got wealth. He has a lot of crops. And his solution to his excess is not to give it away and um, distribute it well, but it's to build bigger barns and to kind of hold it and, and kind of keep it to himself. And in the midst of that parable, he says, man, you don't even know that your life is going to be gone. And he says, those that build up treasure for themselves, verse 21, says they're not rich towards God. That's where we're getting the title for this series. So what does it mean to be rich towards God. Because again, even in our possessions, whether it's money or physical things, uh, the more things we have, typically uh, the more those things have us. And what Jesus is trying to do in the midst of this conversation and what he do, does in the midst of money is it's not so you can give more to the church. It goes like, man, these things, they grab a hold of your heart. And you think you have security in these things. And Jesus is giving us some corrective thinking in the kingdom to say, this is how you should handle your money and your possessions. The big idea that we're going to see in these three verses that Charles read for us in Luke chapter 12 this morning is this, that the kingdom economics are built on these three things in this passage. That, that they're built on trust, they're built on generosity, and they're built on eternal investments. Kingdom economics that Jesus is going to help us understand. Uh, they're built on trust, generosity, and eternal investment. Craig Bloomberg, who is a New Testament scholar, he says this about money. I think this is helpful as we're having this conversation. He kind of traces like, how does the Bible talk about money? Like in the context of the full Bible, like money is real. How do we handle it? What does this mean? He gives these five, which I think are helpful. He says, number one, money and material possessions were created by God to be good gifts for his people to be used for all of creation's flourishing. That's number one, that it's, it's a good thing that uh, money can be used well for the flourishing of creation. But then number two, after human sin entered the world, that's the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3, money often can have a powerful seductive force for selfish ambition and even uh, to be used to harm others and the rest of creation. Uh, just like it's good, uh, but then because of sin enters in the equation, it gets twisted, it gets distorted, it gets used incorrectly, uh, which is what he says in number two. Number three, he says, perhaps the best safeguard against the wrong use of wealth is to be generous in giving it away. We're going to see that in the passage uh, as Jesus uses uh, similar words. That's number three in his um, idea of how, how the Bible uses money and finances. Number four, when some people, uh, through no fault of their own, have little and their health and well-being are in danger or even their lives, it means some other people have too much, right? That we need to be aware of that. How do we love and give and serve people that, by no fault of their own, uh, are struggling? And then number five, we're going to see it in our text as well. Number five is that stewardship is ultimately a matter of the heart, and is an indication of spiritual life and maturity. And so when the Bible uses the idea of money or finances, it kind of traces this line of the storyline of the Bible. 
And again, Jesus is kind of coming after the heart and going like, man, why, why is Jesus talk so much about money, which he does talk about money a ton. It's because he cares about our heart. And he doesn't want things to possess our heart except for him. And so money is something, again, that's elusive. It's kind of deceptive. And all of a sudden, if we step back and we look at how we're handling our money, we could go, oh, man, it might actually be an idol in our life. And so if we're trying as a community to walk with Jesus, if my job as a pastor is to help you mature and present you to be mature in Christ, like Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, like this is an issue we have to talk about. Again, not to guilt you into giving. This is not about giving to the church. This is about like what's going on in your heart and how does money somehow grab your heart at times. So again, let's walk through these three verses. We're just going to kind of break them down. Again, the idea that kingdom economics are built on trust, generosity, and eternal investment. Let's look at that first one, this idea of trust, where that shows up in the text, verse 32, again, Jesus is talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. We talked last week. They're saying, like, listen, don't be anxious. Like, don't you know your father cares for you? Look at the ravens. Look at the lilies. Like, he takes care of them. I don't want you to be worried about these things. Your father knows what you need. And so what are you to do? You're to seek his kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. And so right after he says that, he shifts and continues to talk to his disciples. And he says, fear not. Little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. First thing we have to look at in this, in, in this verse is, is the word fear. Uh, in the original language in the Greek, uh, the way that fear is pronounced in the original language is it's phobeo. P-H-O-B-E-O, phobeo. Does that connect to the reason we get fear? It's the same root we get for phobia. Right? And a phobia is an extreme or irrational fear or an aversion to something. And so what Jesus is saying, he's like, don't fear. And, and what's the fear connected to? The fear is connected to, verse 33, um, to selling your possessions and giving to the needy. I don't want you to be afraid of that. I don't want you to have an aversion to holding your money and your possessions with an open hand. And many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, man, we, we kind of do have an aversion <laughs> forgiving. It could be giving our time. It could be giving our money. We go like, because we think that's where we get our security, and ultimately that's where we get our joy. And so why would I give away my security? Why would I give away my joy? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. And what Jesus is telling his disciples, he's, step, he's saying, let's step back and let's look from a kingdom perspective on what finances do to us. And he's saying, I don't want you to have an aversion to this. If you have an aversion to this, it's going to trip you up in your kingdom investment. Don't have an aversion to giving. Don't fear. And then he says, don't fear little flock. I love the tone of that because you could go like Jesus is going, man, stop being afraid. What's wrong with you? But even in the context of the verse, it doesn't seem like he's doing that. He's like, like I care about you. You're my sheep, my little flock. Like I, I don't want this to trip you up. So Jesus, even in this verse in 32, he uses, the, he says, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure, and he wants to give you the kingdom. And so he uses these three uh, languages that I think are helpful for us to look at. Again, he, he looks at flock, that this idea that we're his sheep, his the followers are his sheep, and he is a good shepherd. God is a good shepherd to us. A good shepherd protects. A good shepherd provides. He's going to take care of us. He's going to lead us in this. And how we handle our money, he is a good father. We are his children. 
If you're adopted into the kingdom through the blood of Jesus, you are his child, and he is like a good father. He's not going to give you something that you don't need. He's not going to hide something from you. He's not devious. Some of us have good dads. Some of us have bad dads. That's a mixed metaphor. But God is a good father. He's a good shepherd. He's a good father. And he's a good king. Right? This kingdom language is that we're his subjects. And that he is a king that has authority. He's a good king. He cares for us. He loves us. So even in that one sentence, helping us understand why shouldn't we fear, we shouldn't fear because we have a good shepherd, we have a good father, and we have a good king when it comes to this issue of money. And that's connected to our trust with what we do with our finances, what we do with our money. In the kingdom economics, it's built on this idea of trust. And then he says, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And it's just helpful for us to be reminded of this all the time. Because I don't know, about, if you're like me, sometimes I think like God's like, he's kind of annoyed that he gives me good things. You know, it's like I've got three teenagers and, you know, um, we're, we're trying to figure out how do we, how do we, do we pay for their gas? Do they pay for their gas when they have jobs? So it's kind of a mix for us personally and our family. But sometimes when um, our kids are in certain activities and saying, you, you can't get a job right now, we're okay with that. We'll help you with gas because I'm tired of driving you around. I'd be glad to give you gas money. And then my son comes to me and he's like, hey, dad, I, I need some more money for gas. And I'm like, I just filled up the tank last week. Where are you driving? I'm like, like, like my father's heart posture is kind of annoyed, like, Dude, like, what are you, are you spending this money on gas? Or are, you, are you spending it somewhere else? And he's spending it on a gas, but I'm kind of like annoyed because my resources are limited as a father. But what this verse says is like, that's not God's attitude towards you. Like, he has unlimited resources. It's his good pleasure. He's not kind of going like, oh, again. <laughs> like, like he, no, he loves you. Like, we just had Christmas um, about a month ago. Some of you have grandkids in the room. Some of you had kids in the room. Did you ever give a gift to your kid that you're so excited because you knew they were going to be so excited to unwrap it? And just to watch the joy on their face and the excitement on their face? You don't stand at the edge of the tree and say, okay, go ahead and unwrap it. You don't even deserve this thing. And, like, sometimes I, sometimes I and they don't, right? But sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I feel that way, uh, that that's how God views me in this kind of conversation with money and what he gives me in the kingdom. And that's just not true. And Jesus is trying to help his fathers remember, like, it's his good pleasure. Just like when you give that gift to your kid in Christmas and you're so excited for them to experience it and unwrap it, the same thing is true of our heavenly father. That gives good gifts. He loves us. And he wants to give us the kingdom. That kingdom language, we just need to unpack it just, just really briefly uh, because the Bible uses it all the time. If you're familiar with uh, the Bible, you see the word kingdom come up a lot, especially in the New Testament. What does it mean that he wants to give us the kingdom? We should know what we're getting, right? If, if God the Father is giving us in this good pleasure his kingdom, what does he mean by the kingdom? Now, the Bible doesn't give one specific definition of the kingdom. It's kind of like trying to define America, you don't give one definition. You, you, there's lots of nuances to it. It's broad. But some of the understanding, it, it would be helpful for us to go, what, what actually is this kingdom? So two theologians that write on the kingdom, one's name is Patrick um, Schirner. He says this. He, he defines the kingdom this way. He says that it, it's about the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. 
It's about the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. And then Nicholas Parent says this. He says, the kingdom is the sphere of reality conspiring within a community of human image bearers in the task of restoring creation to the worship of the one true creator God. That's what he says. He says it's a sphere of reality with this community of human image bearers. We're image bearers of God as he's created us. And our task is restoring creation to the worship of the one true creator God. So that's this idea of the kingdom that is given to us. And we talk about this, and we've talked about this a lot um, up front on Sunday. But this idea of the kingdom is that it's, 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 it's already, but it's not yet. Meaning, Jesus comes where we are in the story of the Bible, that there's um, creation, and then there's the fall, and then there's uh, restoration as Jesus comes down and gives his life for us, and then ultimately, uh, there's going to be restitution, right? There's, there's redemption, and then there's restoration as uh, he will come back and make all things right. We're in that story where Jesus has already come. And so he says his kingdom is active. There's things in you and I, if you follow Jesus, that you can actually do in that restoration process of creation. You can love people. You can care for people. You can sacrifice yourself for others, which is a taste of the kingdom on earth. But it's not fully realized. It's already, but it's not yet. It's like when you walk into that house, whether it's your house or somebody else's, maybe your mom's house, and you smell the the sauce cooking, and you smell the food that you're going to partake in, and, and she says, man, just take a taste of this sauce. And then you, you, take, you take that spoon, and you take a taste of the sauce, and you get a taste of it, and you just go, oh, man, that is going to be good. But you don't eat the meal yet. That's where we are in the season of uh, the story of the Bible. It's like we get a little taste. We can be taste. Uh, we can be pockets of goodness and refreshment and renewal for people as we walk with Jesus and we listen to his spirit and we engage with people in love. We can get a taste of the kingdom. But it's not until he comes back that we'll be fully sitting at the table with the meal. And that's the kingdom that our Father wants to give to us. And again, to participate in this kingdom reality, to be a citizen of this kingdom, it's based on trust, right? Even to be adopted into this family is based on trust, trusting in Jesus and his work on the cross for you. That's how we're adopted in to this family. So again, kingdom economics are built on trust. The next thing they're built on is generosity. Verse 33, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. So if you have this fear, if you have this aversion to giving your money away, your possessions away, and you're going like, how do I combat that? Because like, I, I don't want to have a fear of that. I want to hold it with an open hand. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's what you need to do. You need to sell your possessions and you need to give to the needy. Now, sometimes we can get our Bible stories crossed over at times. And sometimes we can read this and we can go, man, um, is this like the rich young ruler, right? Like, uh, if you're not familiar, there's a story in Mark chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 19 where uh, it's described as a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to in uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, like, you honor your mother and father, you do these things. And he's like, well, I I've done all those things. And Jesus looks at him, and he knows that he is an idol of wealth, that his money is the most important thing for him. And so he says to him, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell all your possessions, give it to the needy, and come and follow me. 
And if you're familiar with that story, what does the young man do? It says he goes away sad. He's not willing to give everything up to follow Jesus. And so in that story, specifically what Jesus is doing is he's going after his heart. He's going, you can't have anything in front of me. If you want to uh, uh, inherit the kingdom, you have to put everything down. And I know your possessions are the thing that you hold most to in your life and in your security. This is not the same story, right? Jesus is not saying sell all your possessions and give to the poor. He's saying, like, listen, if you have an issue of fear of money, if it's grabbing you, if it's holding you, here's the antidote. You need to sell your things and give to the poor. And the reason I want to make that delineation is because some of us have read this story where you kind of attach the young, rich young ruler to this story and we go, okay, like, I just got to sell everything and give it to the poor. And that's how I gain God's favor. That's how I become rich towards God. And really what you're doing in that moment, if you're going, I'm just going to sell everything, I'm going to give it to the poor, you're really doing this kind of works-based gospel. That you're going, okay, because I'm giving everything before I'm selling everything, like God is going to be more pleased with me. He's going to let me into his kingdom. That's not how God lets you into his kingdom. God lets you into his kingdom because of his son and because of grace. What Jesus is saying here is, man, don't let this stuff hold you. Like to combat it, if as you are already in me and you're walking with me and you want to do kingdom work, don't hold those things too tightly. They're slippery. They'll somehow gain a hold of your heart and then that is going to block you from following me. That's what he's saying in the midst of that sentence of going like, listen, sell your possessions, give to the needy. You, you want to give to the needy, you don't want to let things hold you. Again, the more things we have, the more things seem to have us. And what Jesus is saying is like, don't let that happen. Here's an easy way to not let that happen. Sell your stuff. Give to the needy. And again, this idea of a kingdom, it, it, it's upside down. It, it doesn't seem to make sense on paper is what Jesus is saying. My wife and I have been in full-time ministry for uh, since 2001, uh, since we graduated undergrad and we were on staff with a, a parachurch organization for a long time, for 16 years, and I've been on staff with the church here for the last five. Uh, and all those history, uh, even today, um, of doing ministry, we raise financial support. Um, we ask people and we say, hey, this is what we feel like God's called us to. Um, we would love for you to come alongside us in finances and giving if you're able. And we want you to pray about it and decide about it. And then that's how we get paid, right? Like it's a very faith-inducing process. Like nobody loves doing it, right? Like until you do it for a while and you're like, oh, okay, I actually, I can appreciate this. Um, and there's been seasons in our ministry that, man, like 2008, like, half our people just lost their jobs. Just like they can't give, which means we don't get paid, which we're going like, I don't know how we pay our mortgage. It was like, and there's other times and there's good reasons for people to stop supporting you and support something else as they listen to the spirit lead and all those things. But whenever that would start to happen and I would start to look at the numbers and I would go, oh, I don't, I don't, know, I don't, know, how we're, I don't know how we're gonna pay. My knee-jerk reaction, which was in my flesh, is to do this. Okay, who do I need to call? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to email? Which again, it's, it's not wrong, but if that's my initial posture, instead of going, okay, God, do I trust you? And then how that trust would play out when I started to kind of realize this about halfway through the, my ministry career of uh, raising support is going, when I saw the numbers start to dip and we would lose different people and things like that, I'd go, okay, who do I need to give to? 
Who do, who do I need to find out who's in need? Um, and, and who do I need to give to? Which is totally backwards. It's totally upside down. You would go like, well, you don't need to give anything because there's, there's a hole in the boat and it's draining quickly. And I go, no, 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 no. In God's economy, it's flips upside down. Who do I need to partner with? Who has a need? Who can I financially partner with that's doing kingdom work? And then I go, okay, by faith, I'm going to give to that. And when I would do that, God would always provide. Every single time. Doesn't mean there wasn't effort to have conversations with other people after that. There's still effort involved. But in the kingdom, it's flipped upside down. It doesn't seem to make sense. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, don't fear. Here's one way. Like, I want you to sell your possessions and give to the poor and realize and trust that I am going to provide for you. It's a challenging way to think about our money. So kingdom economics are built on trust. They're built on generosity. And then lastly, they're built on an eternal investment. Jesus continues where he says, provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where thief no thief approaches and no moth destroys. What Jesus is saying in this moment, he's going, listen, you're going to make financial deposits in your life. There's going to be money that's going to come through and you're going to have a chance to have an investment in certain types of things. And every investment is risky. That's the whole point of investment. Like, is it going to pay off or is it not? And Jesus gives us some categories to how to invest the money that we do have. He's saying, man, don't, don't, when it comes to investing, it comes to risk. Like, don't, don't invest in something that's going to grow old. Don't invest in something that's eventually going to become irrelevant. Like, it wouldn't make much sense, I don't think, today, if I'm having a conversation with my financial advisor, and he says, you should invest all of it in phone books. Like, that wouldn't make any sense because phone books are irrelevant. They're old. They're, like, no, nobody uses phone books anymore. Like, do they still make them anymore? It doesn't make any sense. Jesus is saying, don't invest in things, in, in risks that are going to grow old. He also says, don't, don't invest in things that are going to fail. They no longer work. There's tons of companies we could have conversations with. Enron, to me, comes to the top of the list of, like, you're not going to invest in Enron because the leadership is corrupt. Like, it's a bad company. It has failed. He says, don't invest in things that are going to grow. Don't invest in things that are going to fail. Don't invest in things that are going to be stolen, right? And companies' ideas can get stolen all the time, if you're not familiar with this. I mean, we talked about Apple last week and how Apple is uh, the company that has made the most wealth over the last 30 years. But do you know the story? Some of you guys know the story in here. In 1979, Steve Jobs and his team, who runs Apple, they get invited to the Xerox manufacturing company. And they go to Xerox, and they're looking around, and they're going, oh, they have a technology that we haven't figured out yet. And, and, and Jobs was very, like, unapologetic about this. They just steal the idea, and they put it into the first Apple computer. And they make tons of money. And Xerox, do you even know what Xerox is, you young people? You don't, right? I'm seeing heads going, what's a, what's a Xerox, right? So ideas can get stolen all the time. Right? I watched that show on the History Channel, The Foods That Built America, my kids totally make fun of me because, like, I mean, it's super cheesy. It's like this docu-series about how food has influenced our country and stuff like that. And, and almost every single one of them, it's like these two companies are pitted against each other. And somebody steals the other person's uh, idea and they, they market it better. They, they know how to get to their audience better. So even like the idea of Oreo cookie, you know that's like the second sandwich cookie? Hydrox was the first sandwich cookie at the time. And you're going like, what's a Hydrox? Like, 
And that, that was their idea that Oreo just steals and, and, and markets better and uses better. And so everybody knows what an Oreo is. So ideas can get stolen all the time. And Jesus is like, don't, don't invest in ideas that get stolen. Right? Don't invest in things that grow old. Don't invest in things that will fail. Don't invest in things that can be stolen. And then the last one, don't invest in things that can kind of deteriorate or be destroyed, where moth can destroy. Don't invest in things that are no longer attacked that eventually will erode over time. Again, an unwise financial investment today would be to invest in blockbuster video. Doesn't make any sense, right? Like it's eroded over time because of our digital age. You would invest in that. So Jesus in the midst of saying, I don't want you to fear. I want you to trust. You have a good shepherd. You have a good father. You have a good king. In the midst of that, don't let the possessions grab you. Don't let them hold you. Open them with an open hand. Sell those things. Give to the poor. And then when you do take your money bags, when you do deposit, here's, here's a tip for you, a financial tip. Don't invest in things that are going to grow old. Don't invest in things that are going to fail. Don't invest in things that can be stolen. And don't invest in things that are going to deteriorate or destroy. And you go, what do we invest in? Because everything we could invest in financially would fit some of those categories. In our broken world, in our society, and we'll, 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 what are we investing? Again, it's there in the text in verse 33, but with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. So Jesus is calling us to invest in treasures in heaven. What, what does that mean? <laughs> Right? If we're not supposed to invest in these things that are going to grow old, they're going to fail, they're going to be stolen, they're going to be destroyed over time. But there is something you can invest in now that will pay dividends forever. And that's this investment in heaven. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to invest in eternity? And even the word heaven is, is confusing even in the biblical text as, as we sometimes think it's this place far off that we're going to go after we die and that's all we think of. But this is really about like the spiritual realm where God is at work in this kingdom. That's what this idea of heaven means. And so my thought in, in the context of what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, man, there's a way to invest. And when we think about God's realm in the heavens and, and what's happening in the already but not yet kingdom, and we think about like, how, what, what was God's presence on earth when Jesus was here? It was Jesus fully dwelt in human form. God's presence walking among us. Jesus dies on the cross, raises three days later, and then does ministry and then ends up leaving. Well, what's the current presence of God in our culture? God breathes on his disciples. And he sends the spirit to the church. And this is the active presence of God now is the Holy Spirit. So what I think Jesus is saying is here is, hey, hey, man, when you make a decision to invest in something eternally, are you consulting the spirit? And I think that's just a good question for all of us, how we handle our money. Do we hope it will open hand? And then are we praying? Are we going, God, should I give to that person on the street? There's plenty of people in need. There's plenty of opportunities to give, plenty of good work, gospel kingdom work that's happening. How do you decide what to give to and what not to? Because sometimes you can get paralyzed if you're like me. It's just like, well, I just can't, I can't give to everybody, so then I just won't give to anybody. And what I think Jesus is saying is like, are you connected to the spirit in this conversation, in this decision? Are you praying? Are you hearing, yes, I should give to that, even as a sacrifice, or, or no, I don't think I should give to that because I'm going to give to this. 
Many of us don't have that conversation with the Spirit in prayer when it comes to our finances. We just don't think in those categories. And Jesus is going, let me help you understand the best way to hold your finances is to trust me, is to give generously, and then is to be in tune with the Spirit to know where those heavenly deposits are going to go. That will not fail. That will not grow old. That will not be destroyed. Kingdom economics are built on trust, generosity, and eternal investment. What really Jesus is doing here for us and for his followers is he's helping them transfer their treasure, right? We put our treasures in these things that are going to give high return for us financially, and often we don't go, God, what do you want us to give to? And then how do we be obedient and sacrifice and not let possessions kind of hold us captive? It's a different way to live. Just look, we talked about those five areas that maybe you could improve on in your investment strategies with your money. And you go, ah, well, I need to do better at being intentional with my money or staying out of debt. Um, Out of these three, what are the ones that you need to work on most? When you think about trusting the Father, when you think about being generous, when you think about listening to the Spirit and investing in eternal investments, which one do you feel like, man, God, I need your help on that? I give, but I'm not really generous. You know, I really have a hard time trusting you with my money. Or, man, I'm really not listening to your spirit when it comes to this issue of investing. What area do you feel like God is going like, I want to help you grow in that? Verse 34, to kind of wrap up, is kind of just the the button on the end where Jesus is saying, like, he's telling us all these things of how to invest. And then he says this in verse 34, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's just an indicator of what's going on in our heart, right? It's an easy way to find out, like, what do we really care about, right? We look at our calendars, our time, and we look at our money, our bank accounts. Those are two indicators to go, like, what do you really care about? And so for us to take honest inventory with each other in the room, even in your communities to go, man, like, money can get real sensitive and real touchy, right? And we go, like, no, how do we figure this out? How do we do this better together? to have vulnerability and honesty in the midst of that conversation to go like, yeah, I need to grow in this and you need to grow in this and we all need to grow in this. How do we do this better? For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And if Jesus says these are the principles of kingdom economics, what we just talked about, and he's saying this is the way that you're gonna flourish. This is actually the best way for you to be human, the way that God has wired you, (laughs) that you don't have to hoard your excess, your abundance. You don't have to hold it tightly because it's going to go away. That you don't let it control you. That you don't let it uh, dominate your mind and your thoughts all the time, all day long. That you don't let it stress you out when you don't have money. That you figure out how to give it away. To share with those in need. To invest in people of need. To listen to the Spirit with those investments. What you should say yes or no to. And if he's saying that's the best way to live. Isn't it beautiful that he models that for us? When you think about the life of Jesus and what he gives us, this is exactly what he does. That he lives out these principles of trust and generosity and being led by the Spirit in his life and his death and his resurrection. You look at Philippians 2, what does it say? He doesn't hoard his wealth. He's up with the Father. He could just stay there and it would be great. But no, what does he do? He empties himself. He drains his bank account and he comes down and he lives with us to what? Give to the needy. We're the spiritually needy. 
And he makes a sacrifice so that we can inherit the kingdom. This is what Jesus does in the midst of our life. And again, we started with this kind of top five ways to get rich and this wealth, and remember the, the one thing that the caveat that it said in the article is like, listen, the only way that you can get rich quick is if you marry or you, you have a, a family that you eventually has wealth and you get inheritance because somebody dies. That's the gospel message. Like the last thing I want you guys to walk out of here is go, okay, this is how I need to handle my money. I need to trust. I need to be generous. And it's all about you. And you ignore that last point about the spirit. And you go like, okay, this is how I'm going to get rich toward God. God's going to be impressed with me. He's going to be happy with me. Instead of going, no, this is about an inheritance. Because of what Jesus does, because of his death on the cross, you now can become rich toward God like that. Like that, in a decision to trust Jesus with your life, to, to kneel to him, to go, I want to follow you. I realize my sin has separated me from you, and I realize I need Jesus to make me whole again. And you make that decision, and you get transferred to your account directly spiritually. You become rich because he loves you. And may we forget that. We forget that all the time, and it's a beautiful reminder for us this morning, and the reminder for us every Sunday morning as we come to the table. As we come and we take the bread, Christ's body offered for us, his blood shed for us, and we remember that deposit. Because again, some of us just have, we just have faulty accounting, right? We think God views us because we screwed up. But like God views you through Jesus if you've made that decision. Like you are rich towards God. He wants to bless you. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we kind of walk up to this table and we feel like, well, I screwed up again. God's not happy with me. It's a deficit. Uh... No, <laughs> like he loves you. He cares for you. Be reminded that he deposit this inheritance in you. And then through that inheritance, you start to live for his kingdom. It's a different way to live and operate. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what we need to call each other to. In the midst of this act of love that Jesus gives at the table, he empties himself, his body's given, his blood shed, so that we could be accepted into the kingdom, not only in the here and now, but for eternity, when one day he comes back and he makes all things right, and we live in perfect harmony with him. No more growing old, no more failing, no more stealing, no more decay. One day that will be the case. And it'll be beautiful. So as we come to the table this morning, be reminded of that truth if you're in Christ, that you are rich towards God. Because of that richness, how can you give it away to other people that are in need? How do you have uh, a relationship with your finances that is built on trust, that's built on generosity, and that's built on listening to the Spirit and making eternal investments? Let's pray. Father, we need your spirit to help us with this. Uh, we need to listen to you. We need to know that we're loved and cared for by a good shepherd, a good father, a good king. Help us be reminded of that this morning, God. Help us make adjustments as we leave this place to our finances, to not let things kind of hold us, but to hold them with an open hand, to give freely, to not be afraid, to sell things and give to people that are in need. Help us have a heart of sacrifice, Jesus, just like you. We ask that you would do it in and through us. We pray in your name. Amen.